Worship team, I hope you heard that. No? Yes? There was gratitude expressed for singing that song. Um, somebody's just now returned from being away for a bit, so thank you. Well, good morning to everyone here. We're glad that you are with us this morning, whether here in person or online. We have good news, although we have heavy news today. As we're moving through Revelation, it's hard to not hit the heavy stuff as we're walking through the last book of the Bible. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to, well, open to Revelation 8 and 9 and 11. We're going to be considering quite a bit today as we consider the unfolding of judgment as found in the seven trumpets. That may sound bonkers, and it is. (laughs) But we're going to consider it together today. We're actually going to read... We're going to move through all seven, but we're going to read the seventh trumpet that's going to be found in chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. Chapter 11, 15 through 19, a good summary of what we're going to consider this morning. So let's read that, and then we'll work through this together. Lord willing, the Spirit's work, we wrestle with a hard text. Revelation 11. Starting in verse 15, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who, wa- who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen with his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. God, as we come to consider this portion of Revelation, we certainly need your help. There's a lot here, and it's hard to take in what it is that we see and, and, under, and, and to understand and, and then to apply to our lives. And so we certainly pray that you'd be with us in the preaching and the hearing of this, your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In Psalm 73, we're introduced to a psalmist who's having a very hard time reconciling some realities of a life is hard and evil is real world. He's struggling, he's looking around, and it looks like other people who reject God are winning. And he who follows God is losing, and it's hard for him. He's not doing well as he considers it, as he sees other people who reject God doing better than he. He can't stand it. Because it's such an injustice, and it almost breaks him until he gains a much-needed perspective. Let's read that part. Consider his words in Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. If you wanted to know what uh, my week was like, there it is. As we consider Revelation's uh, seven trumpets. He goes on, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. 
Revelation 8 through 11, the Apostle John is brought into a vivid vision of these words in Psalm 73. He gets to see the very end. And the end, we find, is filled with the judgment of God. It's heavy. It's heavy. Right now, we are considering the second set of sevens as we've been moving through Revelation, the seven trumpets. Like the seven seals before them, these are symbolic visions of the unfolding of history, but with a greater intensity on the unfolding of God's judgment against his enemies. The unfolding of judgment is not so much a warning of judgment, but the actual experience of it. It is the vivid display of what is and will be like for God's enemies, for those who reject Him. But let's get a little bit of the background in place, some background thoughts before moving in. So in your Bibles, skip back to Revelation chapter 8, verses 2 through 5, at the beginning of this section on these seven trumpets. Revelation chapter 8 beginning with verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. The bookend of this passage of these seven trumpets starts and ends with thunders, and lightnings, and earthquakes. It's a very visceral, overwhelming moment. And in it, we see it's a fullness, a, a complete picture, if you will, as the number seven refers to complete or whole. And we find that this whole picture of the unfolding of judgment is first related to the prayers of the martyred. Imagine this as somewhat of an inception, like a vision within a vision, something unfolding within something that's unfolding. The seven seals which we have considered are about the broad picture of the unfolding of history. The seven trumpets are about the unfolding of answered prayers for justice. Back a couple of weeks when we were considering the seven seals, we found the prayers of the martyred in chapter 6. In verse 10 of chapter 6, it states these words. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The seven trumpets are an answer to those prayers. It's the unfolding of that answer that we are considering together this morning. So we need to keep that in mind as we work through this. This is... God answering very important prayers. Secondly, the seven trumpets are picking up on two very important Old Testament images. Some scholars debate how much of the Old Testament is found in Revelation. Some say there are 450 allusions and references. Others say thousands. Essentially, it's enough for us to say, you got to know your Old Testament to better understand Revelation. And so, as we understand the trumpets and dealing with the unfolding of judgment, these two very important images from the Old Testament come into place. Play. The first is the plagues in Egypt with the Exodus, and the second is the fall of Jericho. 
Both of these Old Testament images inform our understanding of the seven trumpets. The plagues were displays of God's judgment on Egypt and his power over them and their false religion. The trumpet blast around Jericho and the immediate destruction of the wall displays God's judgment and power over them. In fact, trumpets were most often announcing God's judgment and victory over his enemies in the Old Testament. These background items, they answer to prayers of martyred ones asking for justice and the background of the Old Testament and knowing how trumpets associated with God's judgment, help us understand what we're considering here together. And it is heavy. But with that comes encouragement in our lives now, though. Because King Jesus brings ultimate judgment, we, you and I, who follow him, can live with courage in our lives now. As heavy as this is, is what we're considering ongoing, but more importantly, ultimate judgment on God's enemies and those who reject Christ, it also will serve, hopefully, as an encouragement for us to keep holding on now. The unfolding of judgment shows us how the justice of God gives us courage. And the unfolding of judgment shows us the vindication of God brings us comfort. And we're going to move through that together. First, the justice of God gives us courage. And there's a number of ways in which this builds up and helps us then to live out our lives with courage now. One is that we're going to see that the judgment of God is unavoidable. You cannot escape it. And so we may feel like the psalmist in Psalm 73, and we look around and it says, it seems like the world is winning. Those who reject God seem to be getting whatever they want. I'm following God, and it's a labor, it's hard, it's difficult, it's challenging, it's heavy. But ultimately, the judgment of God is unavoidable. Secondly, we're going to find that life against God is miserable. It is miserable. No matter how well lived it may appear, it is misery. And then thirdly, we're hopefully going to have a sense of how God's justice brings us courage in our right now. So let's consider that together. The judgment of God is unavoidable. If you have your Bibles open to chapter 8, let's read 6 through 12. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. These were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass, green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. It fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had become bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the moon was struck, and a third, a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. The first four trumpets 
are similar to the first four seals that we considered back in chapter 6 in that they sort of impact physically everywhere. It's, a, it's an impact on all of creation. And we're going to find the, next, the, the third set of seven, the seven bowls. The first four bowls deal with the same pattern, follow the same pattern, but are even more intense. From the heavens to the earth and everywhere in between, God's judgment for sin will be unavoidable. There is absolutely no escaping it. It will be dealt with. And the physical manifestations of this highly symbolic rendering here shows that the judgment of God comes because of the significance of sin and its consequence. And it shows us the significance of God's judgment. At this point in the unfolding of history and the unfolding of judgment within that, we are shown here that a third of, that's an important feature, impacts creation. A third of shows that throughout history, there are moments of judgment that point forward to the full, final, forever judgment of God at King Jesus' return. Not all of God's judgment is poured out in our lives, in the life is hard, evil is real world. But enough is experienced in this life that points us forward to the ultimate judgment. Now, the other side of that coin is we can't run around claiming this natural disaster or that disaster is because of God's judgment, because ultimately you and I, no one is on that committee. God is on that committee, and it's a committee of one that's three. So, But when we do look around in this world, and we do see the things that befall, we know that life is not as it should be because of sin. And God will bring to bear his judgment for sin. And judgment will be far-reaching in its scope as these four trumpets show us. Sun, moon, stars, all of creation, this visual picture showing us that judgment will be far-reaching because the effects of sin are far-reaching. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, a great and terrible thing happened. Sin. Adam and Eve rejected God's good ways and ended up losing God's good place. And in the process of announcing that verdict, God says in verse 17, Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. A taste of judgment for sin exists and is embedded into our life is hard, evil is real world. It's unavoidable. It's inescapable. And as a result, life against God is miserable. Life against God, living your life as if there is no God, is miserable. Living your life in rejection of God is miserable. And that's part of what these trumpets are doing and showing. Life against God, life as his enemy, is a miserable life. There are spiritual aspects of judgment that are even worse than the physical displays that these trumpets are conveying. Look at verse 13 of Revelation chapter 8. 
There's a transition of intensity that occurs here. In verse 13, it says, Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on earth. And the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So this is an even more intense display of how miserable it is to be against God and under his judgment. This is heavy. Trumpets 5, 6, and 7 are even more intense. And what it helps us see is that the turmoil of sin and its consequences make life miserable, no matter how well lived it may appear. Let's look at the fifth trumpet. Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit, and he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened, and the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power, like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. This is miserable. Keep in mind, we're reading a book that is highly symbolic to convey very important spiritual truths about what is unfolding in history and leading up to the return of the king. And this is giving us the torment of the soul for those who reject God and live against him. They want to seek death, but they they can't find it. They long to die, but it will flee from them. That torment of being woefully and terribly unfulfilled, empty in life, miserable. It continues. Verses 13 through 19, the sixth trumpet. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number, and this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion heads and Fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths for the power of the horses in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. This is staggering visual, overwhelming army bearing down. I mean, there's this unavoidable, unescapable, overwhelming, cascading, like roaring army bearing down. Bearing down on those who reject God. Life is miserable against God. And this, these, this chapter, chapter 9, is, 
is like an explanation for what we saw when we were back in Revelation chapter 6, seeing the unfolding of history. Revelation 6, verses 15 and 17, as it sort of was intensifying as the history unfolded, we got these words about people who reject God. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones of the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? That is further described in Revelation 9, which we just read. Life against God is miserable. I hope you leave here with great encouraging truth. But underneath of that is also leaving here with the reality that life against God is miserable. And if that's your life right now against God, you may be trying to bury deep the miserableness of it. But it will ultimately bear, and I don't want that for you. So keep listening as we consider these passages, these verses. Life against God is most definitely miserable. These trumpets are primarily announcing judgment, not as necessarily a warning, but really as a rival. Yet, because we get it in God's word, and it's here now, there is some sense that there is still yet a call of repentance, a call to turn away from living against God and embrace the life that he is offering through the gospel of Jesus Christ it's, it's embedded in, in God's word. It's, it's promised and, and fulfilled and on display through the gospel. And it's being offered to you right now. So while life against God is miserable, there's still yet the call of the gospel. You still have lungs that work and breathe. And so you can hear and receive. The call is still there. And so while this is primarily about the arrival of judgment, there's still some sense of warning for us this day. Look at verses 20 and 21 of chapter 9. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Their lives remained unchanged. They know and experience some aspect in which life against God is miserable, but it moves no needle for them, and they just had hardened hearts all the more. Throughout the unfolding of history, we find that people will not repent. Yet the call to repentance is still there. The call to receive what God is offering is still there even though we know that many will follow down a very different Romans road. Some of you know that expression, the Romans road. If you work through key passages in Romans, it helps you understand the gospel. It helps you understand the free gift of God's grace and the person and work of Jesus Christ, that when it is pronounced and declared and all who hear and and receive it through faith and believe are saved, it's an incredible theological uh, like unpacking of what God has done for us. Well, there's also, there's a different road in Romans. 
And it's a road that leads to this moment in Revelation. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They double down. Verse 23 of Romans 1, as we go down this terrible Romans road, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's getting worse. And the road keeps going in Romans 1.28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They, they continued to double down. And in Romans 2.8, It says, but for those who are self-seeking, who do not obey the truth, but obey righteousness, the ultimate outcome of that will be wrath and fury. This is a sobering side of the gospel. This is a sobering reality in which we live in. The world is hard and evil is real. God is in control and Jesus wins. Yes, but that win that Jesus has is for the redeemed. For those who trust Him and cling to Him through faith, who look to His life, death, and resurrection and say, that is my only hope. And those who reject that have hearts that will just double down in that hardness. The crisis of sin and its consequences and its ultimate finality leads us into a very divergent moment in which we respond very differently to this. And, and, and it's very important for us to hear this and receive this, as heavy as it is. The crisis of, li- of sin and its consequences and its ultimate end leads us to a fork in the road in which our response has very, very different outcomes. The crisis of sin and what it's due, it may, God uses to work in our hearts to lead us to the moment of repentance. That's one pathway in which we turn away from sin by trusting God and His saving grace through the personal work of Jesus Christ. We turn away from running headlong down a dark corridor, ultimately leading into death. We repent and we believe, oh my goodness, God, I cannot believe you made a way for a miserable sinner such as me. We turn. That same crisis of sin, that same moment, that same reality isn't always responded to with repentance. And what Revelation 8, 9, and 11 are showing us is that sometimes it's responded with rejection. Rejection of the offer of God's free grace in the person and work of Jesus Christ. A rejection of the sufficiency of Christ for you. That is life that He lived for you, perfectly for you. The death that He died for you. Perfect sacrifice in your place. All of that. Reject it. Don't want it. Don't want anything to do with it. Turn our heart against it. Well, those two pathways grow further and further apart. There's a visual on the screen. I can't, I only have so much to work with, so I can't make them look further and further apart. But just imagine them with me. What happens is repentance leads us down into another experience of God's grace, and that is reconciliation. We were going the wrong direction. Because of His grace, we have turned. And through faith in Christ, we're now going a new direction. And in that new direction, we're actually drawing near and back to God. We're reconciled back to God. We experience the overcoming of our sin and the experience of forgiveness and the reconciliation between us and God. The welcome in. 
to go from enemy to loved one, to go from courthouse to living room. Staggering, overwhelming. It's the heart of the gospel. But if we reject, if we turn away and turn our hearts away from that, we double down on a life that doesn't want anything to do with God, is against God. And that rejection, it leads ultimately to more rebellion. We live against God. We want nothing to do with Him. And in fact, we purposefully live in open rebellion against Him. Because our hearts have rejected this incredible free offer, our lives begin to reflect it. Well, as repentance leads to reconciliation, this great moment we experience in this life, and we'll know it in full measure at the return of King Jesus, why we say God is in control and Jesus wins, so hold on, is that repentance leads to reconciliation, which leads ultimately to our restoration full, final, forever restoration with God for all eternity, restored right with Him, better than the Garden of Eden because of King Jesus. This is good news. This is incredible news. But Revelation chapter 8, chapter 9, and 11 that we have considered are telling us the outcome of a very different, different pathway. That this rejection that leads, doubles down into rebellion, ultimately fuels a life of resentment. Where not only are we against God, but we blame God for the things that don't go as we would want them to go in our life. That we resent God. That all the way deep down, that our anger is against God. So these pathways are before us. And for those of you in this room who have experienced the overwhelming flood of God's grace in your life to lead you into repentance, reconciliation, and restoration, what incredible joy and hope and ultimately courage, courage to live out your life right now awaits you, is for you. And for those in this room who have wrestled and have experienced the pains and the miserableness of rejecting God of rebelling against him and letting resentment rule your heart and blind your eyes, I pray that right now that God would rescue you from that. Rescue your heart from that. The seriousness of his judgment is because of how serious sin is. And right now, right now, is the day of the gospel. Right now is the day of good news. Right now is the day in which we have, we have a way in King Jesus. All who trust him, all who look to him, all who cling to him, all who hold to him through faith will be saved. For those of you who have experienced that, there we find our courage. There we find life is hard, evil is real, but God is in control. He will not let sin off the hook. It will be dealt with. Justice will be fulfilled. That justice is either fulfilled by Christ 
on the cross or his enemies under his judgment. And I beg of you all in this room, Christ on the cross is your only hope. Now, as we see the unfolding of judgment, we see justice will not be delayed, but will be in full measure. We also find that vindication for those who are clinging to Christ in this life is hard, evil is real world, will come. And there's a forever vindication that brings daily comfort in our lives now. For those who trust Christ, his return will be one of great vindication, not great judgment. And you and I, we definitely live in the tension of a life is hard, evil is real world. We believe God is in control and that Jesus wins. But if we're honest, we, we really identify with the Psalm 73 guy. We look around and we say, hey, this isn't as it should be. I'm following you. I'm trusting you. But everything seems to be just like running into a brick wall for me. And, 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 and all the Joneses and all the Instagram people all around me, their life doesn't have anything to do with you. And it seems to be way awesome, more awesome than mine. What's going on? We're honest. We can, re- we can relate to Psalm 73. But we also need to do what that psalmist does and consider it from God's perspective. But let's, go, let's go back to that last trumpet that we started with, chapter 11. There's an interlude that we'll consider next week in chapter 10 and portions of 11. But right now, let's close up the loop of these trumpets and look again at the last one. Verses 15 through 19. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and who, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came in the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both great and small, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within the temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, earthquake, and heavy hail. Here we have a glimpse in, the, in chapter 11. We have a very important glimpse, a look at the finality of it all, the return of the king, this is, this is the return of King Jesus. This is it. This is the very end. And that's partly why it's really hard to read Revelation from 1 to 22 and expect every verse and every chapter to fall in this like, chronological order because we're getting different glimpses of the very end from different angles at different moments. And it's all building up with great intensity and it will reach the end at some point. I think sometime last year, and I don't remember why I did, but sometime last year I said the movie Dunkirk is very helpful to understand Revelation. If you recall that movie, it was about World War II moment, and it was told from the land and the sea and the air. And each one was at different periods of time over the course of one week. And they all happened with different greater intensities, and they all built up and, and sort of coalesced together in the same climax moment at the very end. But you were getting it from different time stamps. You were, the story was unfolding in different ways. It's a great movie. 
So go and watch that. But, but then also think, oh yeah, that's helpful. It helps me understand that Revelation is kind of doing something like that. And so here in Revelation 11, we're getting a picture of the very end. We're getting a picture of the very end. A couple of clues as to why I feel confident to say that. If you look at verse 17, a very important thing is omitted. Verse 17, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. What's missing? Who is to come? Why is it missing? Because he's here. He's here. And then at the very end, we see God's temple in heaven was opened and the Ark of the Covenant was seen. I mean, if Raiders of the Lost Ark all taught us anything, is that that's a very tricky moment. So here we are. It's the very end. The very end. And at the very end, friends, those of you in this room who are trusting, the, clinging to Christ, who feel threadbare in your life right now, at the very end, you know what is there for you? Worship. Worship. The joy of being with your Savior and your King. The end of this life is hard, evil is real world. The beginning of one where there's no sin, no sin, no hint of sin, no shadow of sin. Just worship and joy forever with your King. And so I say to you, there, there alone, do you find your vindication. The return of the king, vindication sets things right. And this is our forever comfort. God's enemies are vanquished. God's people are welcomed. God's place is restored. The judgment of God is not a terror for those in Christ because Christ satisfied it all. Now, faith moves to sight as King Jesus makes it all right everywhere. Courage and comfort are found in Christ and Christ alone. So don't try to live out your life in a world that is not as it should be because the consequences of sin and their ultimate outcome are far much for us to bear. 90s R&B told us to not go chasing waterfalls. How much of our lives are going to be spent in angst and turmoil because we're asking something broken to restore us. Our comfort and our courage are only found in our King. And He will make all things right. Consider with me how Psalm 73 ends. Listen carefully to the process that the psalmist went through. And then his final thoughts as he looked at a life as hard, evil as real world, telling himself that, okay, you are in control, God. I have to rehearse that to my heart. Notice where it leads his heart. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. 
You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. The sobering reality of Revelation 8, 9, and 11 are to feel heavy, and they are heavy. It is heavy. But in that heaviness, rehearse the truth of God in His grace, in His provision in Christ to your heart. Join the psalmist in saying, it is good to be near God. It is good to have God as our refuge. Let us hold on with comfort with great courage. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would do that. You would help us to see the weightiness of this thing of sin and its consequences and its ultimate conclusion that would prompt our hearts to turn from sin and to you through faith in Christ. That would strengthen our hearts and our faith in you that we would live our lives out knowing that you are great and you are overall and nothing will escape your, your return. Justice will come and vindication will be welcomed. Oh God, what a great and glorious day. I pray that many more will come to move from terror to worship, from fear to hope. You do that good work in us through Christ and for Christ. It's in his name we pray.